Hey everybody, Saul Marquez here with the Outcomes Rocket. Are you going to health? That's H-L-T-H. It's the largest and most important conference for health innovation. H-L-T-H, pronounced health, is a one-of-a-kind ecosystem event for the health industry. And they're on a mission to bring together 5,000 plus senior leaders to solve the most pressing problems facing healthcare today and actualize the most promising opportunities to improve health. They bring together senior leaders from across, across payers, providers, employers, investors, fast-growing startups, pharma, policymakers, and innovation centers to ask one question. How do we create the future of health? I'll be there, and I hope to see you there too. If you use Outcomes Rocket Podcast 150 as the promo code, that's Outcomes Rocket Podcast 150, you'll get $150 off your ticket. Looking forward to seeing you there. Go to hlth.com to sign up. That's hlth.com to sign up. Use that promo code, Outcomes Rocket Podcast 150. And I am excited to see you there. I'll even have a booth recording some podcasts live at the event, the MGM in Las Vegas. So, so excited to see you there. If you do sign up, don't be afraid to say hi. And uh, we're going to learn a lot there. So go ahead and sign up, hlth.com. Yes, today I have the pleasure of having Dr. Eric Gantwerker. He is a pediatric ENT surgeon and assistant professor in otolaryngology at Loyola University Medical Center, as well as the vice president, medical director of Level X. He holds a master's of medical science and medical education degree with a focus on education technology from Harvard Medical School and a Master of Science in Physiology and Biophysics from Georgetown University. He's a previous clinical instructor at Harvard Medical School and assistant professor at UT Southwestern. As medical director of Level X, he provides clinical oversight for all its video games developed for physicians and works closely with partners from medical societies and industry to develop innovative programs using the company's mobile, AR, and VR experiences. Academic interests include implementation of education technologies, motivational theory, and the cognitive psychology of learning. He speaks nationally and internationally about education technology, teaching med ed in the 21st century, and putting cognitive theory into practice for medical education. We're going to dive into his thoughts on education, new technologies, and ENT surgery in this podcast. So looking forward to having him here. Eric, welcome. Thank you so much. I appreciate having me on. It's a pleasure, Eric. And uh, as a fellow Chicagoan, it's always great to have you uh, on the podcast. Tell me, what is it that got you into healthcare to uh, begin with? Yeah, so um, originally I actually was uh, wanting to be a food scientist. My brother was a physician and he sort of went straight through from college to medical school and I sort of wanted to take a different path. So I sort of went into food science and, and chemical engineering, which is what my uncle did. He worked for Quaker Oats at the time, also ended up working for Pepsi doing research and development. And I thought that was pretty cool. So I started down that road and then I started, uh, got an opportunity to become an emergency medical technician. So uh, training down at University of Illinois, where I was for undergrad, I said, hey, why not? Let's, let's try this. So I tried it. I joined. I became an EMT and worked on the ambulances, worked at the ball game, started working in the emergency room at the trauma center there. And I was like, hey, you know, this is actually really fun. This is interesting. Maybe I should just try 
to go into medicine and, and go to medical school. So that's when I sort of applied and sort of the rest is history. Wow. That's awesome. So you, you sort of dabbled in uh, food sciences and then got yeah. the bug. You just yeah, had to do a, it. I was actually a medic firefighter for a short period of time before I went to medical school. Wow. Very cool. Very cool. And hey, you know, good way to put your foot in the water before kind of going all the way in. Absolutely. It was very fun. So you still held on to this uh, very unique approach, right? I mean, for the work that you've done in, in education, psychology, now you're working with VR and AR platforms. I mean, you've still maintained this um, uniqueness about the way you're approaching medicine. Yeah, absolutely. So with the work that you do with Level X, as well as in your practice, what would you say is, is something that needs to be front and center in health leaders' minds today? That's a great question. I mean, I just like sort of my path was non-traditional. I, I challenge people to be non-traditional. I challenge people to try to think outside the box, think of different solutions to the problems that they have and trying to be, I hate the term innovative, but try to be more innovative just because it's a little bit overused word. But really for me, there's a learning is really at the core of what I do, learning and teaching. And I think there's a lot of old school, traditional ways of teaching and learning that people are still ascribing to. And I think that there's different ways to do that and different ways to think about it. And I think from a healthcare training standpoint, we need to think outside the box because of all the pressures that are happening in healthcare, like the decreased amount of time, the decreased amount of funding. We need to be much more efficient with our time. And that means looking at innovative approaches for teaching and learning as opposed to the old school didactic sage on a stage kind of routine. Yeah, that's a great point. And so you happen to be involved in several ways to facilitate, you know, help people with their learning. Give us an example of one of those ways, whether it be your, your work at Level X or, or some of the other work that you do through speaking internationally and nationally on how you've created results by doing things differently or you've seen results be created through different approaches in learning. Yeah, so I think that, that probably the number one way, because it is 2019, is using technology for education. I think the old traditionalists that are in medicine and healthcare think that technology is putting your slide deck into a PowerPoint and using the same slides. And really, that's not what technology is for. Technology has these immense abilities. And Moore's Law dictates that the power of computers doubles every 18 months. And the medical content is doubling every 74 days. So if you think about the amount of learning that has to happen and the amount of computing power that you have, we need to use technology different. And so in simple ways, in my own education, my own teaching, I use things like audience response systems that have open-ended questions. I use sort of some games to help with learning and techniques to try and learn very complex things that they can't Google, right? So I sort of feel like if it's something you can Google and get an answer in five seconds, that's not really something we should be teaching because the student can just Google it. They yeah. need more application of knowledge. And so using technology to help apply knowledge and test knowledge, I think, is the better way. At Level X, the way that we do that is we create a game environment. So we actually... Uh, do constant assessment and constant performance of people using their own medical knowledge and actually learning through experiential learning, uh, which is a much more effective model of learning than just sitting and passively listening to somebody lecture. Yeah, I think those are some great examples, Eric. And I, I had the opportunity, uh, it was about a year ago, I, I went to a conference, the Doc SF conference, it's an orthopedic conference. They, okay. Yeah, they had a big focus on technologies. And I was at one of the booths it was the J&J &J booth and they had a VR set and they walked me through doing a total knee replacement in the VR set. And uh, that was pretty cool, you know, and they're telling me how they're doing a lot of training now through that. Absolutely. And 
there's a bunch of different companies now that are using virtual reality and augmented reality. And I think the idea is, is to contextualize the learning in the actual area that you would be doing it. And being in an OR is very expensive. It but is. trying to recreate that experience within a virtual reality setting is much better. And now that we have controllers that interact and you can actually have inputs into the VR instead of passively watching it, it makes it a lot more genuine learning because you're actually doing the physical movements that you would in real life. Some of the issues I see in VR, though, is, is some people are not using it correctly. They're just putting their slide decks in a PowerPoint, essentially, in the VR, where they're uploading animations that aren't even in 3D. There's a lot of poor uses of virtual reality, so I'm glad to see a lot of other people using it for a value add for the education as opposed to just sort of using it as a media tool. Yeah, that's a great point, right? I mean, and uh, we had a chance to connect uh, before our interview today, and you said, hey, you know, VR might be in a hype cycle. And, you know, that media use of it is one thing, but the actual appropriate use where it delivers value that leads to better outcomes, that's where the action's at. Tell me about the ENT space and and maybe the use of these technologies since this is your physician focus area. Yeah. So, you know, my job as a clinician, you know, I've, I've looked at a lot of sort of the technologies that we're using in, in ENT education alone. There's a lot of 3D printing has come pretty heavily into ENT. You know, the original simulator, which was a temporal bone from a cadaver, is more or less the original simulator. And so there's some groups out in Pittsburgh that are 3D printing temporal bones that can actually do them based on actual CT scans. And so the students and the physicians can actually practice on the actual bone that they're going to be drilling in surgery. I have a friend that's in New York that's using uh, VR for surgical planning. So he's a skull-based surgeon and he essentially puts on the VR goggles and actually practice the surgery and shows that actually can actually show the patients, this is where your tumor is, this is what it looks like in three dimensions. And you can actually plan your surgery and figure out, okay, this is what the anatomy looks like. This is where I need to approach from this angle instead of this angle. And you can only see that really in like a three-dimensional rendering in, in virtual reality. And there's haptic devices now that you can actually get some force feedback from that, uh, especially for the ear surgery, there's doing some stuff in VR through Ohio State and is doing some training with that. So I think there's a lot of really cool stuff that's coming that people don't necessarily know about. But I think it's going to become more and more commonplace as the price point comes down on VR and ear headsets and it becomes much more consumer-driven. Yeah, that's a great point, Eric. And, and, you know, I love the idea that you mentioned about time in the OR. You know, it's, it's very expensive. Traveling to an educational seminar and staying at a hotel, that's expensive, right? Oh, absolutely. It, it, it's getting rid of these operational expenses that I think offers a, a very attractive value proposition for this technology. Oh, absolutely. And, and if you look at it, even uh, us as a company from Level X, our stand, you know, the things that we really believe in is, is that it should be mobile. It should be accessible. It should be in your pocket at all times. The phone that you have in your pocket is something like 10,000 times faster than the, the computer that put the Apollo 11 into work. Isn't that you nuts? Know, so if you, it, that's crazy. That's you crazy. Have a computer, you have <laughs> a computer in your pocket. And so why not use it? So I think that's really what Level X does is because the old school, when we come from a games industry, you look at the console games that were at the arcades, you had to go to the arcade to play. Well, that yep. whole dynamic changed when we got P- uh, consoles in the Xbox and that in your home. So all of a sudden you can go to your home. Well, now you can play games on your phone and your phone's with you at all times. Yeah. So I think that there is a huge cost to going to physical physical simulators, going to physical facilities to learn. And especially when you're talking about learning in the operating room, you know, that is, if you're not there for that experience, it's gone. You haven't captured that experience. You can't learn from that experience if you weren't there. So why not recreate that experience in a virtual environment where you can actually practice it and be able to make mistakes like you would in real life 
And that's sort of the fun and interesting part of games. That's the fun and interesting part of VR. Any other platform that we're using is to recreate those in a very lifelike and a very enjoyable, engaging experience. Yeah, no, this is so, so good, Eric. And one of the things, folks, you're listening to this, the question is, what can you do today to experience the technology to think about how you could transform some of the educational models and business operational models that you have today, go get a pair of these VR sets. I mean, the best way you could do it is, is to get in it. Would you agree, Eric? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think dive in. I mean, I think there's a, lot of, there's a lot of stuff out there on what sort of is available and there's new use cases that are coming out every single day for some of these technologies. But I think the best way to find out about them is just to, to talk to people, just listen, listen to podcasts, watch things, watch people display them. And really, I want people to be critical. I, I, I do think that there's a huge, huge hype that is going around these technologies. But Think about genuine ways that this can actually create a value add to the experience. I think patient education is another huge area that we really haven't tapped into. I think physician education, I think putting this in the medical schools, integrated into the curriculum, I think there's huge use cases. But, you know, we have to remember, like, what does VR and AR add to the experience? You know, your physical place in space, creating a virtual patient that you can walk around and move around, these genuine interactions, unique, interesting experiences that you can have. These are the things that are the value add. And so watch these things with a critical eye, but just talk to people and listen to things and, and just ask around. It's a great feedback on, on how we could get deeper. So Dr. Gantworker has a lot of experience in, in the psychology of learning and, and really understanding deeper. So as, as you all think about leading your organizations, this might be something to, to think about. So did you have some sort of uh, setback or anything that you wanted to share with us that helped you become who you are today and, and just kind of the learnings that you've made today that could help the leaders listening? Oh, absolutely. I think my path to medicine was non-traditional. My, my path to everything has been sort of non-traditional. I've been very I love lucky. that about you. Have, I appreciate it. <laughs> I think you grow a little bit when you, know, you don't have everything set in place and you have to go through these trials and tribulations of life. And I think it mm -hmm. made me who I am. And I'm, I'm extremely lucky and fortunate for everything that has come my way. And I, I wouldn't change anything. You know, one of the struggles I had was when I first started college, I was actually at the University of Wisconsin up in Madison. Uh -huh. And academically, I just didn't do well right after high school. So I realized that a couple of things about myself. One, I needed to stay busy, which is why I have two part-time jobs that take up two full-time jobs. Um, <laughs> and so I think, you know, that was a learning experience and it was a setback. And, you know, I originally had to do a master's program, so post-bac work because I've graduated college and I was working down in Urbana as a, as a medic firefighter. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to go to med school and my, my GPA wasn't great because of what happened my freshman year. Yeah. And so that was a tough thing. I applied to medical schools and I didn't get a very good response. So I started to apply to graduate schools and was fortunate enough to end up at Georgetown for a master's program there just to sort of get my GPA up and get sort of back in the saddle and get my mind straight. And that was a great experience. And, and I actually, one of the hardest decisions I ever had to make was I actually ended up getting off a wait list for med school while as I was accepted for grad school and I had to make this tough decision. I didn't think the med school was a good fit for me and for my career aspirations. And so I actually defined it and ended up going to grad school instead, which was probably one of the hardest decisions of my life because applying yeah. to med school is so painful yeah. <laughs> and it's so expensive. 
Yeah, um, too. And so I think, but that set me on a certain trajectory in my life. And every time I ask myself, what's the easy way and what's the hard way? And are you going to grow through the hard way? And if so, then take the hard route. And I think that was my decision was, it would have been easy just to go to med school, even though I didn't think it was a good fit. And uh, I think going to grad school is a hard decision and it was a hard road, but it made me a better person and put me where I'm at today. Now, that's a great share. And and if you had to summarize sort of the the thing that, that people should walk away with, what, what is it from that learning? From that learning, it's believe in yourself. I think mm-hmm. it is, you know, it's a sort of a cliche phrase, but really there's truth to it. It's really, what do you think is right for you? Do you know yourself well enough to make that decision? Yeah. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that are listening that would have taken a different road and done things differently. But I thought for myself and my career aspirations that it wasn't a good fit and make the tough decision. Be true to yourself and really understand what it is that's going to be your future and try to take the steps necessary to get there. And my whole life has been about opportunity. I've been extremely fortunate. You know, my work with Level X, it was, I was just in the right place at the right time. I've been very, very lucky, but put yourself in that position of opportunity by doing the best thing for yourself. I think that was the lesson. I love that, Eric. And, and, you know, the other thing that I took from your share is don't be afraid to take a detour. Absolutely. You know, and that detour is character forming. I mean, if you hadn't taken that detour and gotten your master's at Georgetown, this whole learning thing and what you've done in this niche probably wouldn't have happened. Absolutely. And, and it happened to me again when I finished my fellowship in Boston and I decided I'm going to delay getting a job for a year or work part time while I got my master's, which was a two year master's program at, at the Harvard Medical School in medical education. And I just decided, I think this is the right time. I think this is a good opportunity. I can live out the life that I want to leave. I've always loved education and this will give me the skill set to be able to move forward with my career. And that's honestly what ended up resulting in my work with Level X and everything else that I'm doing now. It was one of the best decisions I've ever made. That's awesome, man. So don't be afraid to take detours. Hey, you know, it's, it's uh, take the risk. It, it's, it definitely will pay off. Appreciate you sharing that, Dr. Gantworker. And so what would you say one of your proudest leadership experiences has been to date? You know, that's a great question. I've, I've been very fortunate to have uh, several other leadership positions. You know, in medical school, I did a lot of volunteer work and I was able to co-lead a group of volunteers that put on a health fair at the United Center. And the organization, Are You Caring, was um, sort of in its infancy, two or three years old, a great group. And, and we were able to expand that group and it's still going to today. Uh, an offshoot of that, we started a tutoring program called Are You Tutoring that I understand is still going today. I mean, I graduated medical school in 2008. It's 10 years later and that program's still going. It's changed That's its awesome. name, but um, that was something that I started during my Schweitzer Fellowship. I was hmm. an Albert Schweitzer Fellow that I got during medical school, which was a phenomenal experience doing the community service program and starting the tutoring program and doing some obesity education in the Chicago public school system. That was a phenomenal opportunity. And I'm, I'm proud of myself for completing that. I'm proud of myself get, getting the opportunity and you know the long lasting achievement that's been with that. I've been fortunate enough uh, when I was down in Texas at uh, uh, Children's Health, we, we helped expand their airway program, started an airway program and a quality improvement program for children with tracheostomies. That's sort of the other hat I wear is sort of the quality improvement patient safety aspect and dealing with some of these very complex children with tracheostomies. And that program is alive and running and profitable. So I just thank my, thank my stars that uh, I was put in the right position at the right time. Well, I'm a firm believer in that luck is when preparation meets opportunity. And uh, you've definitely done a lot of work preparing and, and you've taken advantage of that. Absolutely. I, I appreciate it. 
So Eric, tell me about one of the most exciting things you're working on today. What gets you up early and what, what keeps you up late? So, you know, I, I have this deep-seated belief and this deep drive to help improve the way that medical education is being delivered. I think that uh, from uh, education, I think when you talk about outcomes, outcomes start by education. Mm-hmm. I think the, the stuff that I did with Children's with Tracheostomy, part of it was is teaching everybody in the organization about how to take care of the child with trach and how to look at the patient holistically. So it involved this heavy amount of education to all those that were taking care of these kids about, hey, this isn't just a child with a trach. This is somebody's child, and they, they should be afforded the same opportunities that any child has for speech and language and eating and, and communication. And so I really believe that in, in the greater sense that my Professional development is what gets me out of bed, is trying to mm-hmm. teach the teacher, um, trying to use the cognitive science of learning and all of the technologies that we have available to us to change the dynamic of how we teach and learn, trying to get away from didactic sessions. We know that didactics only lead to 5% retention of information. If you use multimedia, that ups it to about 20%, but still that's not great. Experiential learning, we're talking about 70 to 75% retention when you actually experience something, which is sort of the core of surgical education. But how do we use that? cognitive science of learning to be able to make genuine experiences so that people can learn better, learn more efficiently, and retain that information, be able to apply that knowledge in novel contexts. And that's really where it comes down to. And that's what drives me. Love it. Yeah. And I love your passion for it. The numbers don't lie, right? I mean, that experiential (laughs) learning is key. Oh, absolutely. No, I appreciate you sharing that. And so here we are um, close to the end, Eric. We've got the lightning round. Followed by a book that you recommend to the listeners. You ready for that? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, here we go. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? I think through education and aligning incentives. I think there are so many things in healthcare where incentives are uh, malaligned, and that's what I think leads to poor outcomes. That's a great call. What's the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? Doing it the way that we're always done it. What would you say is the best way to stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? Be brave, be bold, and constantly look for what's out there and don't rest on your laurels. What's an area of focus that drives everything for you? Again, it's education. It's trying to improve the way we teach and learn. Love that. And these next two are more personal for the listeners to get to know you. What is your number one health habit? Ah, my number one health habit is trying to eat breakfast. Nice. I'm, I'm trying to get better about it. Uh, better mental focus and, and eating a good breakfast gets you ready for the day. Love it. And what is your number one success habit? It's counterintuitive, but I always say yes. And hmm. I know I'll get a lot of yells. At me for that. <laughs> but I absolutely think that I wouldn't be given the opportunities that I've been given without saying yes, at least at the beginning. I love that. Yeah. Have you ever seen that uh, Jim Carrey movie? Yes, man, or whatever. Oh, yes, man. Yeah. I thought you were talking liar, liar. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Liar, liar. Yeah, that's the other one. (laughs) He's too funny. Oh, man. I love it. No, it's uh, some great, great habits there, Eric. And obviously, they've uh, proven to to work very well as you've had a a fruitful career in improving outcomes and, and education. What book would you recommend to the listeners? So I think one of the books that really changed the way I think about things is uh, James Paul G's book, What Video Games Have to Teach Us About Learning and Literacy. The way, and it's really interesting because, you know, it's very specific to sort how games and learning sort of interact, but really the way that he changed my thinking was this idea of domain-specific expertise. 
mm-hmm. that, you know, you could be an expert in one thing and be a novice in the other. And sort of the way that we teach and learn really depends on what domain you're in and trying to introduce people sort of methodically into those worlds, mm-hmm. you know, teaching people the right terms to use in that world, in that domain that they may not be open to. And for me, that's been resounding because I live in a world with, I work with a bunch of technology, a bunch of technophiles, people who play games, and I don't come from that from that world very deeply. And learning from them and trying to understand these different ways of thinking, I think James Paul G really changed the way that I think about different domains of my life. And, and even in surgery, you know, when we talk about doing ear surgery, it's not the same skill set to do sinus surgery. So mm-hmm. they're totally different domains. And so it's a, he just changed the way that I think about it. And so as far as the domains go, what's the takeaway? So really, it, it's really trying to think about that some skills cross domains and some don't. And uh-huh. that anytime anybody's new to a certain domain that you have to start back at the beginning and say, okay, here are the terms we use. And this is how we speak about it. And this is um, sort of introduce you and, and sort of take you through that learning curve that happens in games. And mm. I've taken that and, and applied it in my surgical education when I'm teaching residents. I'm like, hey, how many times have you done this procedure? These are some of the same skills. These are some of the different skills. And taking them through that learning curve and really trying to challenge them. There's a cognitive theory about uh, the zone of proximal development that was uh, popularized by Vygotsky. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't heard, heard about zone of proximal development, I strongly, strongly recommend it. But essentially, it's the idea that if you challenge somebody just enough, just past their ability, and they achieve that, then they'll continue to go until you try to challenge them. And if your challenge to them is below that, that challenge level, they'll get bored and they'll disengage. And games have perfected this wow. because they want you to play. And so they put your challenge just beyond your reach so that you're able to do it and you're able to move on. And if you continue to do that for your learners, they will maximize their growth and they'll maximize their transition from novice to expert. It's just a phenomenal theory that I, that I, I try to live by. That's pretty cool. And what's it called? The zone of what? Zone of proximal development. Or proximal ZPD. development. Okay. Yeah. And the, guy, okay. the guy's name is Vygotsky. V-Y-G-O-T-S-K-Y. Vygotsky. Wow. I'll have to look into that. The zone of proximal development. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So thanks for expanding. That was uh, very interesting. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. And and so, um, wow, some very cool stuff here with uh, Dr. Gantworker. This is uh, the end. I always wish I had more time, but the 30 minute time frame seems to be what the listeners enjoy most. It flies flies by, but I appreciate the time. Yeah, yeah, it's been fun. So leave us with the closing thought, Eric. What should the listeners be thinking about and doing and and what's the best place they could continue the conversation with you? So I would say, love what you're doing. Be passionate. Share that passion with others and really try to just challenge the status quo. I really don't like to rest on my laurels. I don't want an organization to rest on their laurels. They need to challenge what is accepted and try to innovate and move forward. And if anybody wants to get in touch with me, We'll make my email available to you guys. Um, you can reach out to us on our uh, website. The Level X website is uh, level-ex.com. And we have a, a contact us tab there. But I uh, really look forward to uh, hearing more from you guys. And I uh, appreciate you taking the time with me. Hey, it's been a, it's been a pleasure, Eric. And uh, definitely looking forward to staying in touch. Thanks for joining us. All right. Thanks so much.